Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are live. So what is up, College Across fans? You are watching or listening to the 200th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. It is Sunday morning at 10 a.m., and like a degenerate, I uh, am going to drink beer to celebrate the 200th episode here. I told my daughter not too long ago that usually you try to not drink alcohol until after a certain point in the day so that you don't feel like a loser, but that there were times, because she had asked me, is there times where you drank before noon? And I said, yes, as a younger man, there were many times that I drank before noon. There were times where we cracked beers at 7 a.m. in the morning because uh, we were at a concert or something like that. That there was, always, there was always, as a younger person, a reason to crack beers before noon. Uh, and that whole line that's noon somewhere uh, ends up having to apply. Uh, so today is one of those days that uh, my kids are both aware that I am down in the basement recording this 200th episode and that I am shwilling Blue Moons. I'm not shwilling them yet, though, as we wait for people to file in. And we get some viewers here. Uh, I'm going to pour my beers, ramble a little bit here more, and we'll go from there. I've got a lot going on. So if at any point the audio is bad or the video feed ends up getting bad, just let me know so that I know what to correct. Because I'm recording the audio version of this. We're recording to save the video version of this while also streaming it. And uh, But today we're going to talk about a boatload of cro- lacrosse. We're going to talk about UVA and Richmond. We're going to talk about Duke at North Carolina, High Point at Jacksonville, Army at Bucknell, Penn at Yale. Uh, We'll talk about Cornell at Dartmouth, Georgetown at Denver, Colgate at Harvard, Delaware at UMass, and then there's a boatload of other games that I have loaded up into my browser tabs. So we're going to talk about all of them. And then as we're going... Just, you know, you got questions, crap like that, hit me up. I will answer just about anything. If there's a rando game you want me to look at some stats for or the box score from and talk about, hit me up with that. I'm game to do anything here. But uh, let me get my my beers poured. I actually have this enormous glass. If you see my head in relation to the the glass, it's about this yay big here. It's a huge, like, three beer glass. I'm not even sure. I might have to pour another one into it, a third into it. I got two two beers that are ready to go that are ice cold at the moment here. So let me get this poured. 200 episodes. What I should probably do by the end of this is go back and throw up, uh, throw up, show some clips from some of my first videos that I put on YouTube. That's something that we'll definitely have to do today. So normally this, this isn't normal. I normally don't rock this show in the morning. I don't, number one, I normally don't do it live. But number two, I normally don't schwill beers out of a glass that's bigger than, that weighs more than my head does as well. Pewter, it was a, a Father's Day present or a birthday present from my family, I think. It's got like giant's crap on it. But there we go. Perfect pour. Perfect pour. And now I am ready to get into this here. So. First game. Oh wait, let's before we do that here, let me get a sip. Let's say cheers to cheers to episode 200 and uh cheers to me for being awesome 
for being one of the greatest podcasters in the history of the game here. So cheers to episode 200. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening all this time and tolerating my bullcrap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that hit the spot. Nothing better than 10 a.m. beers here. So, again, if we have any problems whatsoever with the audio or with the video, just let me know because I can shut some crap down here to try to improve it. I see that my, my, my connection was excellent prior, and now my connection is you know getting a little bit sketched out, but we'll see how this goes. So before I get into it, as always, be sure to like and subscribe. Share the crap out of the podcast. We're trying to get above 10,000 YouTube subscribers, which would be awesome, and we're getting close here as we get to the end of this season. And uh, the audio listens have been going up and up for the last three years very consistently. So across all metrics, this has been a huge uh, success for me at least, and it's been great fun for me this whole time. So once again, I thank everybody for all of that. But let's uh, let's get the hell out of here. You can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. You could buy yourself in honor of the 200, 200th episode. You could always go here and you could get yourself a Lax Factor podcast t-shirt. I wouldn't begrudge you that, but all right, I'm going to shut the hell up. Let us now talk about the first game of the day that I want to talk about, and that is Virginia and Richmond. Now, one of the things I'm going to do as I'm going here is I'm going to roll highlights and then talk about them kind of as I go. So bear with me as I try to fudge through this. But here we go. Scoring got started early here with Peyton Cormier sticking one uh, to give the Cavs a quick uh, tally just 48 seconds into the game on a feed from Schellenberger. So that was pretty sweet. Schellenberger then takes advantage of this kind of late start or uh, an odd start to give them a two-goal lead. And uh, it, it was weird. The whistle didn't go off, and it was as if the Richmond defense didn't know what was happening. So that happened. And then UVA's good fortune continued with Cormier sticking yet another quick hitter, this time on a dish from Matt Moore. And as I expected, UVA, they continue to roll. This time it is uh, Pete Garno. He makes it 7-3 late into the first quarter. Served up warm. Or no, wait, I, I didn't show the Garno goal in the highlight. That's Matt Moore sticking one on a very typical Matt Moore dodge here. And that gave the Cavs a big lead. And there's Garno. There's Garno's goal that you saw right there. He sticks one on a man up. And uh, at this point here, I'm thinking this game's going exactly as I would have expected, and we're going to get another goal out of Moore here off of the kind of unsettled situation. And uh, now it's 9-5 Virginia at this point, so no surprises here, right? And then, nope, Richmond's going to make it weird. First up, Luke Frankeny grabs Dalton Young rebound and buries it right quick. Cameraman could barely keep up with that one. Next up, we've got Lance Madonna. He's going to be the beneficiary of UVA playing a two-man game at X poorly, and he pretty much walks around the crease right side by himself and buries at home. Now it's 9-7 UVA. Next up, Mitch Pfeiffer from Jeff Nugent, a top midi to crease connection. Really bad defense there from UVA. Turns this, turned into an easy goal for the Spiders. 9-8 UVA. And then we got Dalton Young keeping things simple, wrapping around the crease. Uh, wait, yep, wrapping around the crease. Kind of a speed, speed dodge from X. Buries the wraparound. Did I say that out loud? Yes. Now here, you see Matt Moore come up limping right there, and Nugent just trucks his defender to pick this clear up. So that was pretty crazy. And then we end up with, I believe this is going to be Dalton Young shooting wide. Yep, Dalton Young shooting wide, picked up by Ryan Dunn, gives it right back to Lanchberry, feet in the crease, and now it's 10-9 to Richmond here. And that is it. There is no more highlights for for that game you know that was all she wrote uh, Richmond kind of took a commanding lead at that point they end up going up what was it uh da -da 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 -da. 
They end up going up 12-9. to UVA would get back to within two goals a couple times every time Richmond would answer. Now, a huge factor in this game, one thing that would be important to note, P.D. LaSala, over the course of the first quarter, had won 9 of 10 draws. And at that point, at the end of the first quarter, Virginia had a 7-4 lead. He gets injured. He doesn't come back into this game, and then Virginia ends up losing the rest of the game. They, they lose the second quarter 6-2 to Richmond. They lose the third quarter 4-3, and they lose the 4-3-1, all without P.D. LaSala. Gable Braun came in to relieve LaSala. Uh, I think at the end of the first quarter into the rest of the game, he goes 11 of 23 from the faceoff dot. So that factored heavily in the flow of this game overall. And I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm not trying to take anything away from Richmond. You got to play with the next man up. And in this case, Gable Braun wasn't able to continue LaSala's dominance, which how can you? LaSala, just one of the best faceoff guys in the country, hands down. As we get into the statistics for this game, we look at Virginia first real quick. Peyton Cormier, five goals, had an incredible game off just seven shots. Connor Schellenberger, quiet from the goal-scoring perspective, one of three. That You'd think that that would have continued and he'd be three of three, four, four and three or some crap like that if they were to able if they were able to get more possessions. But you see down here, LaSala goes 9 and 10 from the dot. Braun goes 11 of 23 through the rest of the game, and that just wasn't good enough for UVA. As we get into the Richmond offense, though, this is where they shined. Uh, Richmond has been incredible offensively all season thus far. Dalton Young has been great. Four and three in this game. Ryan Dunn, three and two. Lanchberry, four and one. They've got scoring from the big cats, you know, the top three on their roster. And then Lance Madonna, two and one. So you can kind of see it went all the way down for Richmond in this one. And then in terms of the goalie battle, Noons struggled mightily. Nine saves against just 17 goals against for the young Virginia netminder and the uh, Zach Vick. I, I didn't listen to the audio of the game. I had it on silent while I watched it because I watched multiple games. He got, comes up with 16 saves in cage for Richmond, so he played a really good game. I want to say this was only his third start. I'm not sure, though. Someone will have to correct me on that as we go. And uh, so that's it for that one. A hell of a game, a huge win for Richmond. It was alumni day, so they had a ton of alumni sitting around watching this game. Just a great thing. I, I, they talked about in uh, one of the articles that I had read about how, and I think it was 2014, Richmond's first game at D1, they they played Virginia to a one-goal game at home in front of 4,000 fans, and a lot of those guys that played Virginia Tough in that game were present in, for this huge win at Richmond. I, I, once again, 4,000, I think it was 4,300 fans or something like that were at the game to watch this one. So a hell of a job for Richmond for sure. That was rough. I'm going to admit, I'm going to take a sip of beer here. After that first one, it was definitely difficult. I didn't set this up right. It was difficult trying to watch the stats and read and or watch the video and read you what was happening as it was going on. I am not an ESPN anchor, obviously. Alas, I'm just a lowly web developer bringing you a podcast out of my office. So next game I want to talk about here, Duke and UNC. This one was not actually close. Uh, it wasn't close pretty much the entire game. And the big story here, and I'm going to show you some highlights here for all you goalie lovers, is uh, Max Adler. Adler, Mike Adler. Adler made four saves in the first five minutes and three seconds of this game. Many of them are the ones that you're show that are showing right now as I'm rolling it. The first... Um, Let's see here. And then he had nine saves by the end of the first quarter and 14 saves by halftime. Now, important to note, too, we're not talking easy saves here. We're talking some pretty legit shots that he had to move both his body 
and his stick to corral. The kid played an excellent game. UNC easily could have been up two to three zip, but Adler showed up. He was seeing the ball well all game long. All right, we're going to get out of here. I think we're looping through here now. I got to get back to my desk. Yeah, Adler he just showed up all game long, was seeing the ball well right from the beginning, and as a result, Duke's offense had a chance to kind of chip away or chip, you know, chip. I guess they're not chipping anything. Duke's offense had a chance to actually take a lead instead of trying to recover from a, a disaster because if Adler wasn't standing on his head early in this game, North Carolina would have been up early, and that's almost for certain. He finishes the game with 19 saves against 24 shots on goal. That's an incredible stat line, uh, especially against a potent offense like North Carolina's. They held Chris Gray to just one goal and three helpers off nine shots thanks to Adler's effort. Six of Gray's shots were on cage and stopped by Adler. So an incredible outing for him. Now the second factor in this game, and I'm going to roll the highlights here, was uh, uh, Brennan O'Neill here. You're going to see in this first one, he absolutely scorches the corner from the top middle on that very first goal. The second goal is going to come just about two minutes later. He's going to dodge underneath his guy, come back to his left hand and stick one before the help can actually get there to get on his hands. You can't do that. That's two nothing Duke. The third, he brought the ball up kind of the right side. You're going to see him dodge up here, up the right, get his body, get himself into a soft area of the zone and then question mark the hell out of his defender, uh, out of his defender. Another great dodge here out of him. And in the end, that was all she wrote. I could show you more highlights and crap like that. And you'd be excited about him. But the end of it was that O'Neill just had an absolute monster game here. We're talking seven goals off 10 shots with just a single turnover. Probably his best game of the year, I dare say, in terms of overall efficiency. Even if he had other games with that type of output in terms of point production, he played an incredible game and did everything that Duke needed him to do to rebound from that Syracuse loss last weekend. Joe Robertson was two and three. He played well. Nakai Montgomery, after being quiet the last couple of weeks, he goes three and one off just six shots. So he played a great game. Dyson Williams, two and oh. You see up and down the roster here, Duke did well. And then, uh, like we say, we want to look at the goalkeeping stats here. 19 saves and just five goals against for Adler. Not that Krieg had a bad game. Colin Krieg makes 19 saves against 15 goals against. That's normally a stat line that might see you win a game like this, except the other team's goalie was an absolute monster between the pipes. And uh, that is all she wrote here. Duke wins this one. Next up. This was actually a game I was insanely excited about was the high point and the Jacksonville game. Now, uh, let's roll some highlights for this. I have highlights for this as well. Let's see if I can roll these. Eh, another Time for another sip of beer here. We don't want this huge, enormous beer getting cold during this 200th episode. And guys, after this one, I'll, uh, take, I'll answer some questions. I see there's no questions yet, so I'm just going to keep ripping through this then. All right, highlights. Great game. I was more excited about this one than a lot of games. Long pole goal started things off. Trey Smith got his ass upfield. No one picked him up, and he stuck it uh, with his hands free. He got to do that one nothing high point. Still early in the first, Nick Rizzo, he forces a turnover uh, on the ride, and after the ball took some odd bounces, picked it up, buried it home, giving high point a – here you're going to see it. Boom. He gives high point a two-zip lead. Final minute of the first quarter, we're about to see Asher Nolting. He scored his first and only goal of the game here. 
giving High Point at this point a 4-2 lead because uh, Jacksonville had just started to get back into it. And then kind of from there, Jacksonville started figuring their shit out, and they took over the game. Ethan Lamond, we're going to see here shortly, he's going to score an unassisted goal off a very nice dodge under his defender that resulted in a goal while he tippy-toed on the crease, and that tied things up at fours at that point. Less than a minute later, you're going to see Jeremy Winston. He scores his 12th goal of the year, an absolute cannon from out top, nails the bottom left of the net, giving Jacksonville their first lead of the game, 5-4. to four. Jacksonville would go up 8-5 before, before allowing High Point back into this game. And uh, let's see here. I, I lost my point here. And uh, keys to Jay less than a minute later. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Lost my notes. Jacksonville, they'd go up 8-5 before allowing, before allowing High Point back into the game. High Point tied things up at 8s. And then again at nines, but Jacksonville was able to answer each time, getting the lead back through the remainder of the game, riding the beautiful Florida weather to yet another victory. One of the things that I thought was incredible was they have Adirondack chairs on the the near side to the camera, just lined up in one row all along that sideline. That's pretty sweet being able to just sit on the sideline, sipping on a beer with an Adirondack chair. I assume people are sipping on beers everywhere they go. But uh, keys to this Jacksonville victory, after going down early and allowing the third goal of the game to uh, get notched by Nolting, the Jacksonville defense held Nolting to just a goal and three assists on the day overall, and he only had three shots that at least showed up in the scorebook here that I'm about to show you. And as has been the case all season, the Jacksonville defense, they, they do two things very well, game in and game out so far this year. And the number one thing is, and it, it's overlooked and not talked about nearly enough, they get back on defense. Uh, you watch, they've played a lot of fairly high-powered offenses, a lot of teams that are good in transition, and they're able to eliminate these teams' transition goals. They're, they're, uh, they're good at getting back into the hole, even just on broken play situations. So they're getting back on defense is, I think, the number one thing that they do well and the number one thing they've done right all season long. And then number two... They never give up on plays. You're going to see guys that get beat, but they're constantly trailing with the with the the guy who just got beat, trying to stay on hands. Help gets there. They're very they, they they're very good and adept at pestering the opposing players' hands as they're trying to get shots off, and that results in a lot of shots sailing wide. But more importantly, they're just there. They're there on defense. They play good help defense. I mean, you hold a guy to Asher Nolting to a goal and three helpers in a game like this, a conference game, a huge game that High Point traditionally wins. That's a recipe for success. And that is great. As we kind of get through into the statistics here, we see High Point, uh, Jack Vanoverbeek. Vanoverbeek. I don't know how to pronounce that. There's always five names every episode that I butcher like an a-hole. Uh, he's two and one. Like I said, Asher Nolting was one and two. I was wrong. He was one and two on the day for just three points off three shots. Braden Maia, two and one. So you kind of see here, they did. They, they just did not get it done offensively like they typically do. You normally see Maia in the four to five point area with Nolting in the five to seven point area. That was not the case here. Let me just make sure my video is still up. We're still good. And as we get down into the Jacksonville point totals here, Ethan Lamond, five goals off five shots, or five shots that hit the cage, seven shots in all, five on cage. All of them went in. Jeremy Winston, four goals. Uh, Jack Intrieri, two and one. Jacob Greiner, two and one. And it's not the usual suspects necessarily for Jacksonville in this game. As you come down here and you see Max Walbaum, only an assist in this game. I, I did watch it, but it was another game I watched quietly. 
as I was watching multiple games. So I don't know what else happened here. He only gets two shots on the day. I don't know if that was a credit to the the um, uh, high point defense or if that was if there was something else up with Wallbaum. But you can see they kind of their their usual suspects weren't the guys necessarily putting up the points, but they got points nonetheless. Griner was key here with two and one. So a hell of a game overall for Jacksonville, and we're going to get the hell out of this one. And next up, we're going to talk about Army and Bucknell once again after I take another sip of my 200th episode beer. Ah, so good when it hits your lips. All right. I think we have high, we have highlights for this one as well. So let me get my crap all queued up here. Uh, this one was a hell of a game all the way through, though. Army held a 3-1 lead by the end of the first that they extended to 4-1 early in the second, only to see Bucknell battle back and tie things up at fours with 8.55 left in the first half. Bucknell would take the lead. Army would continue to scrap and took the lead back 7-6 with 5.40 left in the third quarter. And then things continued to escalate from there. Now, I believe the goal that we're about to see, Bucknell would take a 9-7 lead off an Alston Terry goal assisted by Cam Doolin with 4.06 left in the fourth quarter. And the momentum at that point was all Bucknell as that capped a three-goal bison run. And uh, and then Will Coletti, he'd pick up the ensuing faceoff. He would take it all the way to pay dirt, sticking one on the crease with barely a Bucknell defender around him to get Army back within striking distance. And then the game-tying goal was stuck by Brendan Nickturn via a classic Brendan Nickturn dodge from X up the right side, muscled, muscled his guy into a soft spot, got the edge on the high side right there. You see it. And bada-bing, bada-boom. Army and Bucknell are now tied at nines. And then less than 40 seconds later, we're going to see the game-winning goal scored by Paul Johnson. And it's going to look a little bit like his teammate Nick Turn. He's going to wrap around from X. He gets the high side. He buries a bouncer on the far side off pipe. Uh, what is that? What do you call that kind of off stick hip level? And uh, then the then Army, they're going to go on to uh, win this game. That was all she wrote there. Army scored three goals in three minutes to turn a 9-7 deficit into a 10-9 Patriot League victory. Now, one of the important things was the announcer after the Bison took that 9-7 lead off that Terry goal, the announcer called this the big insurance goal, and that line didn't age well because within seconds later, Army's back to within a goal, Army ties it, and then over that three-minute span, what he was calling an insurance goal proved to be nothing, and the Bison lose this game here. Both goalies played really well in this one, though. Wyatt Schupler, I'll kind of bring up the stats here so you can see it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Wyatt Schupler. He ends up with 12 stops against nine goals against and earned the W. However, Rich O'Halloran, and I've heard him called Richie O'Halloran, I think at times, he made 16 stops for Bucknell, and that was a big, big reason the Bison were able to make a game of this one. O'Halloran stopped five of the seven shots that Nick Turn actually put on cage, and that absolutely disrupted the All-American a bit as he's used to burying that shit on the daily. So, Army, they would have gotten beat three to five goals for sure. For sure they would have gotten beat if it wasn't for the play here that you see at the top of Will Coletti. He wins 19 of 23 draws on the day with a goal and 12 GBs to go with it with just a single turnover. Dude played bonkers. That absolutely won this game for Army in the end. Uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Give the kid the game ball, whatever. That wins the game for Army. Because Bucknell was able to hang despite that possession disparity. So credit to the Bucknell defense. Credit credit to everybody, the, the entire Bucknell team, even the Bucknell goal. Uh, Bucknell, yeah, like I said, Richie O'Halloran stood on his head to keep them in this game. 
So overall, it was pretty good. As we look at it, Brendan Nick turned finished the game with two goals, two assists. That's a low-scoring output for that kid. He's an absolute monster. So credit to Bucknell for holding him to just two goals and two assists off 11 shots. So like I said, seven of those were on cage. Five of them were saved by O'Halloran. Uh, Reese Burrick, 4-0. So, you know, Army got it done in the end. And then as we look at who scored for Bucknell, Alston Terry, 4-0. And then Dutch, Fur- Dutch Furlong. That is a dope name. That's not a a gangster name by any chance by any stretch, but that is a dope name nonetheless. Dutch Furlong. It just sounds good coming out of your mouth. He goes for four goals as well. He actually filled it up, took ten shots on the day, and uh, wasn't enough in the end for Bucknell because they got absolutely roached at the faceoff dot by Will Coletti. They win a couple more faceoffs. That game changes and Bucknell pulls the upset, but it was not meant to be. Penn. Against Yale. This one I have one highlight for. So, oh, wait, wait. Don't want to get ahead of myself. Cheers to the 200th, 200th episode once again. Whatever's left, and by the time I end this, I'm going to have to chug here just about this point. So, hey, we're uh, as, I'm, as I'm rambling through and as we're about to get into this game, we've got 11 viewers here at this point. So chirp me. Chirp me with something. We've only got three comments so far. Lacrosse crowd not big on commenting, apparently, here as they're watching this. But feel free to chirp me. Feel free to request that I look up a game that you want me to look up, and I'll do that once we're done here at the end. Um, The next one, I wanted to talk about Penn at Yale. And both of these teams came into this game 4-2, and and 1-1 in the Ivy. The Yale defense was the big story here. Chris Fake forced four turnovers and picked up four GBs to help Yale win the day. In all, Penn committed 21 turnovers on the day. 14 of them came in the second half and 11 of those turnovers were forced by Yale defenders overall. And I, I, I'd argue, and I always argue this, if, if 11 of your 21 turnovers were, were technically credited as forced, there's probably one to three more that w- didn't get credited as forced fully, but maybe it was a defender on someone's hands. Guy throws the ball out of bounds, whatever. Um, man, I got the beer. I got the beer burps here. So anyway, Yale's defense played incredible all game long. The game-tying goal uh, for... Uh, Penn came by uh, Cam Rubin off a – it was actually a really sick cross-field feed by uh, Gergar uh, over uh, – it was kind of a two- or three-possession run that Penn had where they were trying to get back into it. It was a frantic pace uh, somewhere between, let's say, like the nine- and six-minute mark or so where Penn had a bunch of looks and turned the ball over on two of those possessions early before finally Rubin's able to stick a lefty snipe. Uh, it was actually kind of cross cross – field feed that he then was able to kind of run under uh, the the breakdown and then score that goal. Yale's defense, though, overall, they were never more than a step behind, and they recovered well, making Penn work very hard and thread the needle to get that 11th goal, as I said. Chris Lyons, here is the game winner. He's the young gun that posted the game winner in OT. We're going to look at this on Twitter here. Comes high side, and that came after. We'll watch that on a loop here as I talk about it. There was a two-man game. He can't, He actually started that dodge from X. Just a two-man game, quick pick slip, and he got the switch. And he's a freshman, but, but attacked that defender immediately upon seeing the shorty on him as he's up on the wing. He immediately comes in, brings him down, dummy dodge down the left, and tries to get back into the middle of the field. And for players that are watching that see that move, understand 
that as he tries to bring this down this side, that's a setup dodge. He knew all along he was going to try to come down the left and then bring that back full speed to the middle to try to get that high side. That was an absolutely incredible dodge. Just wisdom beyond his years showed right there from the freshman because you could see as soon as he saw that shorty switch up and that that shorty had him on the wing after that initial two-man dust up, he immediately went right into this move here and then sticks the game. And you can see bounce, Birkinshaw guesses wrong, goes low. Ball goes up over his shoulder. He's not able to recover. And Birkinshaw played tough. He's been solid in cage for Penn this year, but not good enough here in the end. And uh, Penn or Yale ends up winning this game. As we kind of get back to me, I'm oh I forgot I'm already here still. As we get into the statistics here for Penn, we see Sam Handley who has been very strong for Penn over the last few games. He has a solid game, three and two, except. He took 12 shots, and only six of them were put on cage. So that was a little bit rough. Cam Rubin, he has the three goals here. Dylan Gergar, two and one. So the usual suspects for Penn, they got it done, uh, but just not quite enough because Yale's defense played incredible in this one here. And then you see Chris Lyons here, three and one for four goals. Brad Sharp. And actually, what I want to talk about is that youth was on display in this game for Yale as an insane number of youngsters not only got time but put up points both at attack and midfield. They had sophomores getting the job done on the defensive end. Lions, we already talked about, but other youngsters that stepped up big. As we said, Lions, a freshman, three goals and a helper. He's 9-1 and one on the season as a freshman for Yale. Brad Sharp, another freshman. He went 2-1 and one on the day. He is 7-8 and eight on the season for Yale. Leo Johnson, freshman, Two goals in this game, 15-2 and two on the season for Yale. And then Johnny Keeb, a freshman, one goal, 2-1 and one on the season. So you see that they kind of – they had freshmen helping them out. And Yale was one of the teams that I thought you were going to see take a big step back because they've lost a lot of talent. And while Matt Brandau is an absolute filthy legend, he was 1-2 and two on the day, pretty quiet overall, as he's disgusting and one of the best attackmen in the country. I wasn't sure who they were going to have that was going to step up to help him out, and I definitely didn't expect for it to be freshmen all over the place do that here. So that youth on the field, they played tough. Now, I will say, at times, Yale, they did struggle to get good looks, Penn's defense. It looked like Penn's defense was just playing incredible. I think in the end, it was you have a lot of young guys in the field. They're going to struggle a little bit, and it looked like it, but they did get enough quality looks, and they put enough in the back of the cage here. What are we looking at? We're looking at three, five, six, seven, eight goals out of freshmen in this game, and they only scored 12 overall. So that is a hell of a job, a youth movement going on at Yale here as they're trying to replace the legends of the past and, and move forward after this post-COVID fuckery that we've all been dealing with. Uh, both keepers had solid days in the cage. As we come down here and look, Birkinshaw, 14 saves against 12 goals against, and then Paquette, Jared Paquette, a sophomore, another young gun for Yale. He has 12 saves against 11 goals against, and he gets the W in net. And then another key here was Paquette had a big save with a bit under three minutes to play. It was actually beautiful, a perfectly placed shot that would have gone, and he's standing here. And he makes that stop top left corner. And it was quick. It was good, good rip, good speed on it. And he just goes, boom, blocks it immediately. Excellent save. And that was kind of late into the fourth. And that would have, I think, tied the game up at that point for Penn far before they actually did in the end. So excellent job for Paquette. Young goalie looking very good. Oh, man. The burps are getting to me here, folks. All right, so let's do more Ivy here. Chris West Weston talking about the Ivies here. So we're going to keep talking about the Ivies after I take my two hundred my my another sip from my two hundredth episode beer. My uh, 
I've got like a huge book, butcher block desk here, and I, I try to keep it well, but you can see my my beer, my uh, what do you call it here? My coaster is sticking to my beer repeatedly. I actually use a mouse pad as a coaster, or maybe that's a coaster. That's a big coaster if it is. Either way, now let's talk about Cornell and Dartmouth. This too was actually a pretty incredible game. Both teams held leads at one point, and it came down to the wire. Dartmouth led early, Cornell chipped back and flipped the score and led later in the game. Dartmouth kind of ruled the first half, um, and then Cornell kind of got, not the first half, but you can see Dartmouth had a lead early, and then Cornell gets in, and they're all tied up at fives going into the uh, second half. And then, um, let's see here, Spencer Wertheim gave Cornell a 7-5 lead with 11-19 to play down the left alley, short side high. It was actually a beautiful stick here. I think the... Dartmouth goalie may be a lefty. Either way, he's he's going down that left alley, sticks it cl- near side, and it, w- it was just a beautiful snipe out of Wertheim. And uh, Dartmouth would answer 19 seconds later off a fast break right off the draw. Rogan netted that goal to get Dartmouth right back in it. A shitty subbing situation allowed Dartmouth's game-tying goal because, like I said, once Cornell took the lead, they'd take the lead, Dartmouth would tie. Cornell take the lead, Dartmouth would tie. So it was a shitty subbing situation where Cornell, you could just see as, as, the, as they're getting players on for Dartmouth, a Dartmouth ball carrier gets the ball at midfield and just starts darting down that right alley and uh, got a step on his defender. Never, No one recovered. The Cornell defender kind of saw that transpiring but never went over enough to stop him. So Dartmouth was able to tie the game up. I think that was what, Lapina? Uh, made that goal that tied things up late. And then Coyle's game winner for Cornell kept a beautiful offensive possession for Cornell that saw numerous quick dodges, bumps, and finally that lefty stick by Coyle. Piatelli actually forced the uh, dodge. On, he, he was trying to dodge down the left and back into the middle of the field, similar to the Yale game-winning goal. Draws that slide from up top. He bumps the ball once. That guy bumps the ball over to Coyle. Coyle kind of sees that defender come out and break down on him. Just takes two steps past him. Kind of a hitch, you would call it. And then scores that game winner. Great game. Now, Dartmouth made a good go of it as time expired also. A very good shot off with about eight seconds or so left in the game that didn't get past Erlen. I'm not sure it was on net. Erlen did have to kind of come up to make the save, so it could have sailed over the cage, but Erlen either way made some, I'm not sure if Erlen made the stop, if it got deflected before it got there, but it was a valiant effort by Dartmouth nonetheless. And uh, that made the, the Cornell coaching staff shit their knickers a little bit, almost definitely. And then uh, I also heard a stat here that uh, Dartmouth hadn't beat Cornell at home since 1997. So that, that still stands as Cornell pulls this win out. And then it is absolutely worth mentioning the Dartmouth goalkeeper, Daniel Hicks. He made 16 saves versus just eight goals against. So his effort between the pipes absolutely kept Dartmouth, Dartmouth in this game and made things interesting. And then if we get into the Cornell scoring here, we see they kind of spread it out. Uh, Billy Coyle, two and one on the game, including that game winner. John Piatelli, two and one. CJ Kirst, quiet on the day, one and one. That's partly due to the effort of um, uh, um, Hinks in goal for Dartmouth. And then uh, Angelo Petrakis, I thought he had a goal. Apparently not. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else here. Well, Petrakis didn't have a goal, but the faceoff dot, that was kind of pretty much shared overall. Erlen had a, a solid game. He was eight eight saves against seven goals against, but you see Hanks here for Dartmouth. He, was, he won the goalie battle. It, the only downside was his team didn't win that game. Next up, 
We have no highlights anymore, I don't think. We might actually know. We're going to have a, a highlight, I think, for Harvard here uh, still coming up. But the next game I wanted to talk about, and th- this one wasn't close. We're just going to talk about it for shits and giggles, was Georgetown and Denver. And as you kind of see here, Denver won the first quarter, and then Denver kind of kept it close in the fourth quarter. If it wasn't for the second and the third quarters, this would have been quite the ball game here overall. But alas, the second and the third quarters did happen, and it was a 10-2 run between the second and third quarter for Georgetown that allowed them to route Denver in the end. Now, my gripe with Georgetown in the past has always been they've, they've, they've always had really good records going into their conference play, but it was usually because they didn't play anybody. And then despite the fact that the Big East isn't loaded, they would end up dropping some Big East games, and then that would keep them out of the tournament. Denver would get the automatic qualifier, and Georgetown would get left out of the tournament. That, that was always my gripe. Play a bunch of shitty teams, and then you get into conference play. You can't get the job done. You can't win your tournament. You don't make the playoffs. Versus the ACC doesn't even have an automatic qualifier, but the quality of those teams' schedules and the wins they pick up end up getting, at times, four of the five teams in. Um, And last year, I think all five teams got in. So that happens. This year, I can shut the hell up and eat shit with that because five of Georgetown uh, Georgetown's wins right now are against ranked opponents. So I can take my gripes right to the shitter. G-Town is a very good team at this point. Dylan Watson, he was also good on the day. Let's get to that. Yeah, Dylan Watson, seven goals off 13 shots, zero turnovers with a cause turnover. That's a hell of a stat line. Connor Morin, Notre Dame transfer. He was good for four goals. Alex Trippi, UNC transfer. He was good for two goals and three helpers. TJ Haley, five assists on the day. Transfer defender from North Carolina, Will Bowen tallied a helper to go with his two forced turnovers on this day. And you see a trend here. Georgetown seems to have won that off-season roster building, the free agency period that is now that we now see in all of college sports. Georgetown wins that with some really solid transfers that are stepping up and they're playing big lacrosse and that is going to pay huge dividends for them down the stretch. And this is the fifth game that the Hoyas defense has held an opponent under 10 goals and that is a big deal considering the teams that they've played. If we kind of come into their schedule and we look at the teams they've held under 10, Air Force, they held Duke 210, they held Jacksonville Oh, no, they lost to Jacksonville there. They held Canisius to nine. I guess that's not that big of a deal. All right, I take that back. Most of the teams that they held under 10 aren't all that great, but either way, their record is pretty dope. Um, Oh, wait, I'm looking at Denver's schedule. I am a moron, and I deserve to be slapped for that. Uh, But let's see here. We got a question about Georgetown from Chris Weston. Thoughts on Georgetown as a championship contender? It's the talk of D.C. right now. Well, let's do this. Let me go and actually see who... Georgetown has played thus far because obviously I just butchered um, Georgetown. Here we go. So let's look at who Georgetown has played thus far. Let's check out some of those scores and then let's legitimately talk about their chances to uh, win the title. Their only loss so far this season comes at the hands of Princeton. Lost 10 to 8 to Princeton, and Princeton, as we know, has, has had a very good season thus far. They beat up on Hopkins, held Hopkins to under 10. They beat Penn, held Penn to under 10. They beat Notre Dame. Didn't hold them to under 10, but they get the win nonetheless. They just massacred Mount St. Mary's because they stink. Beat a very good Richmond team, 15-10. to 10. Beat Utah, 16-6. Beat Lehigh, 14-11. And then held Denver to under 10. You know, in terms of their prospects, I would say they are not probably at the level 
that Maryland and Virginia are, even with that Virginia loss coming at the hands of Richmond, that's going to happen. I still, in a matchup, I still like Virginia's high-powered offense on a good day against Georgetown's defense on a good day. The question just becomes, which Virginia team are you going to see? Are you going to see that Virginia team that starts slow, you know, goes down a little bit early and then comes back and then makes a game of it? Are you going to see that Virginia? Well, you know, and, and with this Richmond game too, we have to keep it in context. They lose Petey Lasala for the game before the end of the first quarter. He had won nine of 10 draws at that point. So, you know, all these people that are chirping saying, well, UVA lost to Richmond and Georgetown handled Richmond. I think that George, that, that, that Virginia would have handled Richmond if it wasn't for LaSala getting injured. Injured. That's my, Petey fucking LaSala is an absolute monster. So that's my opinion there. But, I mean, they're a Final Four team. I, I would be – I say they're a Final Four team. That's not me making a prediction. That's really just me saying I legitimately believe Georgetown should be a Final Four team. I think they're that good. They get it done on offense. Watson, Trippy, Bundy Jr., as you see here. I mean, we've got 36 – they've got three guys with 30-plus points at this point with two guys at 20 or above. And then you even have Morin and Hess down here doing well. So Georgetown is is an excellent offensive team. But you you bundle that with the fact that they've got a freshman goalie that's playing right now for McElroy. He ended up with a bunch of saves in this game. I think he had like 13 saves or something. What the uh, Scarfenberger his name is? He came up with 13 saves against the Pioneers and got his second win in relief of McElroy. Um, they held Jack Hanna scoreless on the day. This defense did. Now Jack Hanna has struggled in terms of shooting overall. If we look at the stats here, what did Hanna do? Hanna isn't even in the stat line here because he didn't put up a point. So, yeah, this de- not only are they an incredible offensive team, but defense defensively, that's probably the strength of their roster overall. So I think that when you're dealing with, you know, they say championships win defense. That's not always the case. Sometimes in the sport of lacrosse, offense can win championships. But the fact that they have it everywhere. They've got transfers. They've got seniors playing tough. They've got an incredible goalkeeper uh, that has a great defense standing in front of him. Sky's the limit for this team. I mean, this could be a, a team that is playing on Monday of Memorial Day weekend, but I, I would be surprised and slightly disappointed if Georgetown didn't make their way into the Final Four because I think this is that this is their year. You would have thought last year may have been their year, but then you see they bring in some transfers to replace the offensive talent that they lost, and instead of taking a slight step back, they improved their, their roster defensively, they improved their roster offensively, and they're actually a better team this year, I think, than they were last year. And last year, they massacred my beloved Syracuse. Next up, I wanted to talk a little bit of D3 action here. Now, this is where I haven't prepped for any of these other games here. I, I do have more to talk about that I prepped a little bit for, but I wanted to inject this Tufts Middlebury. Or, no, 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 that wasn't even the one I wanted to do next. Never mind. Scrap that. I just went to the end of my list. We're going to jump back into doing uh, Maryland and Michigan. Not This wasn't a game here. I'm going to talk about it only for the sake of talking about Maryland, picking up yet another win, and now they're 9-0, 2-0 in the Big Ten here. They, they, it was closer than I expected it to be over the course of that first quarter as Michigan kept things tight, but then you see here it's 9-5 to five at the half, and then they just it was the slow burn to a big victory. Michigan, I thought, played pretty well overall but not good enough. As we look here, Logan Wisnowskis, 3-3. Three and three. Keegan Kahn, who has been playing well for Maryland, starting to figure out where he stands within this offense. He's 3-3. Three and three. Very productive game here out of Kahn. For, but actually, insanely productive game out of Wisnowskis and Kahn here. Donville, I think, picked up like his fifth or sixth um, hat trick on the season. Owen Murphy had four goals in this one. Just a great effort out of everybody on the Maryland side here. And then Logan McNaney, 
Section four player, Corning, Corning kid. He ends up with 12 saves against 10 goals against, and Maryland wins this one. It was easy. Had to talk about it, though. Another game I wanted to talk about here was the Harvard and Colgate game here. Harvard held a 7-2 lead prior to allowing Colgate to go on a four-goal run to get back to within 7-6, but Harvard would end up holding on for the win. Colgate scored the game's first goal and then gave up six unanswered goals, and Harvard barely had to look back until about 6.35 left in the contest when Colgate got back to within a goal. What was I showing here? Oh, I was just going to run some highlights here as I talked about it so that you could see uh, Harvard scoring some points here. But, you know, in the end, Harvard improves to what on the year? We're going we're gonna to ditch these highlights. Fuck these highlights here. Harvard improves to 7-1 and one on the regular, in the regular season, 2-0 and oh in the Ivy. Colgate drops to 2-7. and seven. And Harvard's story has just been they just play good enough to win games, and they've been winning a bunch of close games. You can't, you can't fault them for that. You know, you would like to have seen them maybe beat Colgate by a little bit more than that, but look at this. They lose to Ohio State after beating up on New Jersey Tech, then they just go on a winning streak here. They've beat Fairfield, Michigan, Brown, Boston U, Dartmouth, and then Colgate. And they put it on Dartmouth, whereas Cornell had some troubles with Dartmouth. So the Ivy League is, just in terms of the the quality and the depth in the Ivy League, just the the, the deepest league in the country, because even Dartmouth, who's in the basement at this point, they they hung well with Cornell, who's absolutely incredible so far this year. Another one, and this one I didn't see. I haven't prepped for it at all. I don't even know what happened, except that I saw it was close early, and then it wasn't so close after that. And, you know, come the second half, they, you know, Princeton ends up breaking out here and winning this game. But as we kind of go through and we look at what Princeton did, Alex Slusher, man, I, I should have cut this highlight up. He had a really nice underneath dodge from the right wing uh, where he kind of dove you know, up upfield a little bit to stay out of the crease, and he stuck it. This kid's one of the best attackmen in the country right now, and he was not a preseason All-American, was not mentioned by really anybody, including myself, but right now this kid is playing like he deserves to be a first-team All-American, you know, at least a second-team All-American. If he keeps it up, he will be. So he's been incredible. Brown was 2-3, and three. Uh, Vardaro 3-2. and two. You just see they kind of filled it up here, and it was – Sandoval. I knew one of the Ivy League faceoff guys scored a goal. It was Tyler Sandoval. He ended up winning 13 to 28. He loses to faceoff battle, but you score that goal, my man, and that that makes up for the 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 fact that you lost that that faceoff battle by one to your opponent. And we come down here and we look at what Eric Peters did in cage. 15 saves against nine goals against. He massacres the goalie battle, and he ends up winning the game. Princeton continues their winning ways, and what are they? I can't. I don't know if now they're seven and two, two and one in the Ivy. I don't know if this includes this game here in this stat line. It looks like we got a little bit of a typo. What kind of serial killer ends up using double brackets like that? Well, I don't know. They do. Another game I think we have to talk about, and this was a tale of two halves was this Delaware and this UMass game. Delaware was up 6-4 prior to going on a three-goal run that gave them pretty much, you know, what I thought at the point was like a commanding lead, 9-4 lead heading into the half. But nope, UMass would come out. They'd score the game's next six goals over the course of the second half, and that gave them a 10-9 lead early in the fourth. Only two additional goals were scored in the fourth quarter once things got tied up. The game-tying goal for the Blue Hens, Mark Beta from J.P. Ward, that tied things back up at 10s with 8.47 left in the game. And then the game winner was netted by Tim Hoynes, unassisted with 101 left in the contest to give UMass the victory in a game that looked like they had lost control of early on. 
Now, big story in this game, uh, Caleb Hammett won 20 of 24 faceoffs, and UMass goalie Matt Note made 20 stops versus 30 shots. So Delaware gave UMass all they could handle, and despite the fact that UMass won the bulk of the faceoffs, as you see here, Caleb Hammett wins 20 of 24, and their goalie stands on his absolute head. Delaware still loses, but man, considering those two stat lines, that's a hell of a job by Delaware to even be in this game. And you could kind of call it a wheels coming off to a degree kind of deal because they were in the lead at the half, but kind of lost it due to a couple of guys just playing absolutely bonkers lacrosse. All right, here we go. Now we're going to talk D3. This one surprised the hell out of me. Not that RPI isn't a quality team. They are, uh, but they upset number one RIT 13 to 12. Uh, at home for themselves here as we see the game-winning goal was scored by Trey Frolich. Man, I can't pronounce that. The, he, the eventual game winner, as we would call it here, was scored by this Trey Frolich kid for RPI. And as we get into the stat line to try to see what the story of the game was, RIT, Ryan Barnable, 3-1, and one, Marley Agnes, 3-1. and one. You know, the, the usual suspect showed up here. Quinn uh, uh, Commandant was quiet in this one. As we get to RPI's stat line, Cooper Urban, 3-3, three and three, baby, off of three shots. You'll take that. Like I said, Trey Froelich, who scored the game winner, he goes 3-0 and on the day. They did not win the faceoff battle, but they win the game, and we come down here to look at the goalie battle, and there it is. When you see upsets like this, there's usually some stat that's going to stick out at you like a sore thumb, and that's it. Joseph Perry, the RPI goalkeeper, makes 23 saves against just 12 goals that he gave up. He had a hell of a game, didn't just win the goalie battle. He absolutely massacred it. Kid has three times the saves, more than three times the saves than Drew Hutchinson had in this game for RIT. And despite losing the bulk of the faceoffs, despite playing an absolute offensive juggernaut in RIT, Joseph Perry is pretty much able to win this game for RPI by just being an absolute monster in net here. So that was a good one. And then another one I wanted to talk about quick was the Middlebury Tufts. I only bring up the Tufts game because Tufts struggled last week dropping that game to Union on the at, at home, I think it was. Yeah, it was at home against Union. They lose 17 to 12 and now they turn around and they lose to Middlebury 21 to 14. They just got shellacked by Middlebury. We look at uh, Middlebury scoring here. Billy Curtis four and three, seven points. That's a hell of a game. Tyler Forbes four and one, and uh, yeah, Tufts just couldn't get it done. What happened at the faceoff dot in this game? Yeah, Middlebury won the better half of the faceoffs overall, and then what happened in the goalie battle? Yeah, nothing. You know, you you'd, you'd actually. So, you know, both goalies had fairly solid games. It was just Middlebury was just better than Tufts all over the field here overall. And that, you know, that's going to happen at times. It's it's bound to happen. Now, I've got a shitload of beer left over here. I've already been yapping to you all here for, what, 40, 40 minutes or so? All right, so now we're going to get to some questions. Or I'll just I'll, I'll go through the, the comments a little bit. Okay. Have you noticed there's something I haven't talked about yet? It was kind of going to be my April Fool's joke to a degree, uh, but the reality is my mother taught me that if I if I have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So there is a game here that I have not talked about yet that I refuse to mention, uh, despite the fact that's for the first time in my, my podcasting career that I... Um, you know, that I'm not being fair and covering the team that deserves to be covered 
but I'm not going to cover the team that I love so much that played like absolute trash. I refuse to even mention it other than what I just did. So for all of you wondering when I'm going to get talking about the that game, the game that shall not be named, I'm not talking about it. Uh, we're just going to talk about random shit here to finish this out. Uh, let's go through the comments here. Matthew Flint, bad day to be a blank fan. And like I said, I won't even reference the name of that team here. Uh, Michael, uh, what is it? Bacafets or Bacalets? Says cheers. That was the second comment here. Cheers. Episode 200, baby. I'm fairly pumped about that. Uh, Chris Weston, great to hear the Ivy League. Uh, we're able to get some good recruits in the, uh, you know, given the COVID stoppage the last couple of years, which that's been that's been one of the things that I think has surprised me the most about this season overall. Let's just get to my website so you're at least looking at my website as I'm finishing off here. That's one of the things that has surprised me the most about the Ivy League is I absolutely expect that the Ivy was going to take a step back a little bit in terms of their win-loss record, especially out of conference and everything like that. And it's been the opposite. The every Almost every Ivy League team has played better than I expected them to. Uh, even the top teams, even teams like Cornell, Yale, Penn. I, I, had a, I accidentally I got some new clippers. And I cut my hair yesterday, and I accidentally, you know, used a new guide that I hadn't used before. And I went, oh, shit, right after that first swipe. So I am rocking the baldest head that I've ever had in my life here right now. Family is not happy. The wife and the daughter have said, nope, that's not your new haircut. And I've told them I kind of like it, kind of like it. Anyway, overall, I've been insanely impressed with the Ivy. I thought that between, especially with Penn, a team like Penn, the talent they bled off of their roster to other teams has been pretty incredible. And for them to be as good as they've been was a, was a surprise. Cornell, they lose um, what's-his-nuts, Donville to to Maryland. But they, they have guys that have stepped up and played well as well. So it, it has been good of the Ivy there. Uh, let's see here. Thoughts on G-Town as a championship contender? We already talked about that. Michigan is what Georgetown used to be with the weak non-conference schedule and doesn't do enough in the Big Ten. That's from Will Klo. Absolutely. I've been chirping Michigan all season long because if you look at their schedule, they've been playing against absolute trash, picking up big wins, and they're much better. Let me give them credit at least. They are much better than they have been in the past. This is a solid Michigan team. It's just that we had way too many people that were ready to anoint Michigan. This is the second coming of Michigan, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to you know, contend for the Big Ten title. And then if you looked at who they were beating compared to what their the other teams in the conference were doing at that time, the weakest the Michigan played has played thus far one of the weakest schedules in the country, and it's only being boosted now by the teams that are beating them. That that Delaware win was a big one for them. I thought that may have meant maybe they really have kind of arrived, but then they followed it up with losses, and you know now Michigan is what we thought they were. Uh, what's the next one? Um, Maryland is in a whole nother league than everyone else. Go Terps. That's from Ted uh, Rainville, the second who I know to be a, a filthy, dirty, you know, and tricksy and false uh, Maryland fan. And it, it's the truth, though. Right now, Maryland is better than everybody else. Now, they're going come playoff time. That's where Maryland is going to have to really earn it. And I think that that's where any weakness that Maryland has is going to shine through. Do I think that Maryland has a good shot at going undefeated in the big this year? Yes. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, though, to see them lose two games in the big with, you know, with the teams they have left on their schedule. Let's actually take a quick look at that because we can run, we can jump right to, or actually we'll jump right to Michigan's schedule and then we'll ditch them like the losers they are. I, I kid, they're not really losers, but yeah. Rutgers, Ohio State, and Hopkins is who Maryland has left. I like them against all three of these teams here. So Maryland very well, almost more than likely, should end up 12-0. and 0. 
by the season's end heading into the playoffs. But then the playoffs, all bets are off, man, because this is going to be a loaded field. Kind of like last year was a loaded field. Maryland's going to have to face a gauntlet to, to win out from here. But at least this year, they've been tested. You know, they've got wins over High Point, Loyola, beat Syracuse, beat Princeton beat Notre Dame, Virginia, you know, and then these are, you know, Albany, Penn State, Michigan, who cares? But like, I mean, they put it on Virginia. So it's like, I agree, Michigan heads and head and shoulders above everybody else. But, you know, you still got to got to get through the uh, the playoffs once you make them, which, you know, Maryland's going to be the number one seed at this point, unless unless they get up, they lose the next two games. Even if Maryland loses two or three, they're probably still the number one seed unless Georgetown wins out. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, da, 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 da. Ted Rainville is that is that good when it hits your lips? Yes, it is. I, I said that. What, what's that even from? I always say that so good when it hits my lips. Is that the um, the uh, you betcha guy? I think that's where I got that from. So good when it hits your lips, but or, or is that old school? Is it old school and, and Will Ferrell or something like that? I can't remember. Uh, back to Rainville, uh, uh, Tango Sucka. You think blank will bounce back? I'm not even going to talk about blank right now. I hope that blank bounces back, but I don't know that that they showed a lot of mental weakness yesterday, not just the players, but getting out coached. Anytime you win games like they did last weekend, and then you lose a game like they did this week, this weekend, that shows me two things very plainly. And one of them that is obvious is that this team is not mentally tough. And the other thing, it's not that they don't have heart. They have heart. They're just not mentally there enough. And maybe it's a mental, a lack of mental toughness mixed with a little bit of lack of talent due to their roster just getting decimated by injury. But either way, I don't know that they're going to bounce back or not. But then it also, a loss like that shows they, they got out coached. They had no answer to anything that Notre Dame was doing. You could say until you're blue in the face, it's an execution problem. And maybe that's true. Maybe the roster talent just isn't good enough to get them there. But, you know, what are you going to do here? Uh, let's see here. Ted Rainville says, I feel the same way. I watched a Maryland-Virginia championship game live last year and refused to watch it on video. Uh, so heartbroken. That's how I feel after yesterday because I was really hoping that we were going to see a turnaround out of my team, and we didn't. Yeah, Ted, G.I. Jane for sure. I did this in honor of of uh, Chris Rock making what I thought was a fair joke. It was maybe a little rough given the alopecia problem. Or any or anything like that, but we might as well talk about nonsense here at this point. Um, I am on team Chris Rock. I think that Will Smith showed uh, some mental weakness in that in what he did. I, I don't think it's surprising. I heard uh, Jocko Willink talk about how in in certain settings you make a joke like that about someone's wife, you expect to get slapped nine out of ten times in certain settings. In that setting, when you have the stars that sit in the front of that crowd at the Oscars that are legitimately there to get roasted. That's what happens. If you sit in the front row at the Oscars, you are going to get roasted by people. So Will Smith just showed that all of the this last two or three years worth of him being emasculated by his wife hooking up with R&B singers that are losers uh, and not having any cool public affairs that he could put out there that were worthy of mentioning or anything like that. He proved that his him being emasculated all year long finally got to him to the point that he had to slap a comedian that he outweighs by probably 40 or 50 pounds that he knew couldn't do anything back to him in that moment. So I'm on uh, uh, Camp Rock, Camp Chris Rock, but I did get this haircut in honor of, of uh, Jada Pinkett. I kid. 
Uh, let's see here. What else? Uh, can't wait. Okay. Can't wait until the cross spreads to the SEC schools and the rest of the Big Ten from Keaton Mitchell. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to take a while because a lot of these Big Ten schools that still have, um, or a lot of the SEC schools, I mean, that are rocking the club teams, their club teams play competitive lacrosse and the school does not have to fund them, or at least not as much as they would if they were official. So I still think it's going to take quite a while to get these SEC schools on board. But SEC, I mean, they have really high-end club lacrosse for damn sure. So I, I, I also cannot wait until all of the biggest schools in the country, all the big football schools especially, field D1 lacrosse teams for sure. Uh, let's keep going here. Uh, and, and the Pac-12. Ted Rainville throws in and says the Pac-12 as well, which I once again agree on. Once again, the Pac-12, just like the SEC, a bunch of talent all over the place. And then let's see here. Team Rock here too. Thanks, Ted. I'm Team Rock. Uh, you got to protect. You know, I'm not like this. Oh, you got to protect comedy at all costs. I mean, sometimes comedians are going to say some shit that crosses the line, and they deserve to get slapped in the face or whatnot. But that was not one of those things. That was a a mild joke here. We got another comment. Mer- Murray, Ron, greetings, Ted, and all. It has been a while. Just thank you for these live sessions. It has been an entertaining season so far, and many t- uh, and uh, may it continue. Um, Murray Swansea from Wales. We got a bloke from Wales. Is, do you get do you people from Wales say bloke or is that an Australian thing here? I'm not sure, but hey, cheers. I'm not drinking a a, a a piss warm beer like you people in Wales may, but it is a beer nonetheless. And I think what you're like seven, five hours ahead of me, so it's it's noon there, and I'm drinking with you here, Murray. So cheers to you. Okay, no, there's no way. It- it's not even 11 yet. I'm not going to chug the rest of that beer. That, that was probably a full beer that was left right there. But that is it, folks. I'm going to sign off. Whoa, geez. Whew. I'm going to sign off here. I'm going to go spend some time with the family. I will finally be back next week. I, I purposely skipped the Thursday show because I was like, ah, shit. It's the 200th episode. I got to do something a little bit special for episode 200. But one thing I want you all to do, and you can let me know in the comments here, do you prefer the live show on Sunday morning because it, it is a little bit more work for me to put it together. But I will say this is a little bit more fun doing the show this way and doing the show live. So what would you guys say? Would you prefer I just shut the hell up, do my normal show on Sunday and don't do it live? Or do you think that having the live stream on Sunday mornings is the way to go? I would say that the extra work I have to put in in terms of prep ends up being not that much more than the extra work I have to put in after I record it to cut it up to put it up. So it's one of those things where if people thought that they would tune in and I got more than, you know, like this was impromptu and we ended up having like, you know, 10 to 15 watchers or viewers through the whole thing. So if there if there was more um, uh, interest and more people were willing to watch it live, I would absolutely do it live. But it's a little bit of pressure. It was a little bit difficult reading through the stats and all that or reading through the game, the game line as we were doing the highlights and all that crap. So let me know in the comments what you guys all think. But for everybody that tuned in, thank you so much. For everybody that's tuned in that have, have watched this to the point that it is absolutely impossible for me to talk myself out of doing this, uh, I'm stuck and I'm stuck with this podcast for hopefully the rest of my adult life until I decide to retire. I love doing it. Uh, it's not a huge money maker, but luckily I do well enough in my day job that it doesn't matter. So, I mean, for me, this is just a hobby that I enjoy doing because I coached for so long. And uh, after not coaching now, 
what am I going to do? So this was what I did to kind of try to be find a way that I could be home, be with my family more because coaching is just devastating in terms of the amount of time that you can spend with your family while coaching lacrosse or any sport for that matter. So this was the thing I could do in my office, in my basement without ever leaving my home uh, so that, you know, I'm done here for the day now and I'll go upstairs and get to beat on my kids a little bit in video games, chirp my son, uh, play some Elden Ring. That's been that's definitely affected the quality of the podcast over the last two or three weeks was I I went out and bought myself an Xbox just so I could play Elden Ring. And it's been literally just about the only game I've played on the Xbox since I got it. So that's been fun. And Ted, thank you uh, for uh, I, I get I get a lot of really nice private messages from people over time where they say that I how do you not have 20,000 subscribers? How do you not have a bigger following and all that? just because kind of what I do is unique in the industry in the sense that nobody else kind of does exactly what I'm doing. I'm kind of a man on an island here. Uh, so whenever anyone says that this channel is underrated and that the podcast is underrated, you have no idea how happy that makes me and how much of a compliment that is here. So that's it. Before I start crying and shit, I'm going to sign off. All of you people, thank you. I love you people. Uh, can't say enough uh, uh, for you all supporting me and all that crap in this. So as I usually say, that is it. And Hoost is out.